Hi, listeners. A quick heads up, while no explicit details are shared, the events described in the story may be upsetting to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. I hope that my story will motivate others to find out what they truly believe and find peace that they aren't alone in this lengthy process. My name is Emily, and this is my story. You're listening to Becoming Wardless, a podcast series featuring stories from people who have made the decision to walk away from Mormonism. Each episode features an interview with one person sharing their story. Our aim is to explore their experience in a respectful and thoughtful way for all people, regardless of your connection to Mormonism. And now, join us as Emily sits down with Donna to share her story. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us on Becoming Wordless today. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Donna. It's a pleasure. Let's go ahead and get started with getting to know you a little bit better. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and specifically how the church was involved in your life and all of those details? So I was born and raised a member of the church on the West Coast of the United States. And it's pretty typical Mormon. Like I grew up going to church every Sunday, fasting every first Sunday of the month. And my dad was a bishop. He was in a bishopric, and now he's currently in the state presidency. Oh, okay. So at what age was your dad bishop? What age were you when your dad was a bishop? 17 years old. Okay. Did you have a big family? I did. I am three of six kids. And your parents, sounds like they're both really active you were starting to say like you guys did fasting first of the month. So like pretty strict observance of most Mormon doctrinal things and practices. Definitely. Yes. Okay. Okay. Like, would you say you're on the really strict side or maybe on the normal side? <laughs> um, at first, well, like when I was younger, like my preteen years, they weren't really strict about it until my dad like was really involved in the church. So once he became bishop, once he was in the state presidency and stuff like that, like he became very strict because he had to humble himself and like try to get his family on the same page as him, trying to read scriptures with the family, prayer with the family and prayer individually and just things like that. So you noticed like a definite or a marked difference from when your dad was in leadership positions. Oh, definitely. Like, for example, when he became bishop, he was very into sports. Like, he would watch it on Sundays. We would go to my grandma's house and watch sports on Sundays. But after he became bishop, he noticed that he was getting this feeling and that the spirit wasn't residing with him when he was watching sports because he would get angry and like, why did you do that? You know? And so (laughs) he stopped watching it, like, just altogether. Oh, like, completely stopped watching sports, not just on Sundays. Oh, definitely. It took him a while because he's like, oh, like he would read up on the articles, like who won, but he wouldn't watch the games. Wow. Okay. So let's talk a little more about your personal relationship with the church. Um, Growing up, did you enjoy church stuff? Did you consider yourself to like have a testimony? Did it, was it meaningful to you or not? Like, what was it like for you? So 
So I honestly, I did enjoy going to church and like my younger years, like in primary, singing the primary songs, getting to be with my friends. And because that was basically the only place where I made friends was at church because that was basically like my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so I did enjoy it. Once I got to Young Woman's, that's where it kind of changed for me. People were starting to like be more serious about it and not as playful with it and like singing songs all the time about it, but like serious talk, talking about marriage or like at such a young age, you know, like I was only 12 years old when I went to Young Woman's and they impounded in us like, oh, we should get married in the temple. So yeah, that was very interesting. And so when you were hearing those messages, were you kind of bristling a little bit about those? Is that what you're saying? I would say I was bristling, but in my later years. So like when I first entered, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to definitely like go get married in the temple and find my perfect Mormon husband. But um, as time went on, I started to realize that that's not what I really wanted. Hmm. Okay. So... I want to ask, you know, why is that? Um, but I also want to ask, when you'd go to church activities and they talk about having your own testimony, did you feel like you had that? Or was that something that you wrestled with? Um, so I would say I did have a testimony at one point in my life. But I always depended on others. And that's what they enforce, like with my parents, like, oh, if your testimony is wavering, like, rely on ours or lean on ours. Mm-hmm. So what um, what else were things that you clung to or were important to you or maybe even experiences that you had that shaped what the church meant to you? Um, so a lot, like with mutual, like for young women, like that helped a lot with personal progress and like doing the little activities and stuff like that. But come to do I did complete personal progress twice because they're like oh since you finished it at the age of 14 you can just do it again and be like an example to the girls you know oh my goodness wait so you went through the whole like you got your personal progress award at 14 yeah oh my gosh then you did it again (laughs) wow yeah I've never heard of anything like that that is yeah they really like impounded in this oh you need to get this done because basically I would say out of two activities in a month, we would do personal progress activities, try to do the little like value oh, wow. of experiences yeah. and stuff like that. Okay. You had leaders that were like committed to that because oh, we, <laughs> like, we knew we were supposed to do that sort of stuff, but I would say, you know, it was much more theoretical than practical. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it kind of helped that I had a friend that we were kind of like competitors, you know, like, oh, like I'm going to do oh, this. Wow. And we just went one-on-one. wow okay so would you also would you say you were like pretty into it then I was pretty into it okay or did you feel more forced I I mean it's it's hard to look you know the like looking back versus what was actually happening in the moment but what would you say in the moment was going on I mean eh, like such a young age like you're forced to go to church you know And so it just becomes a habit. So you don't realize that you're being forced, but then in all reality, you are, you know? Yeah. But like like you you didn't have a choice, in other words, but you didn't necessarily fight back against that because that was just what you did. Exactly. So you weren't necessarily actively questioning at that time or 
you were starting to maybe have some issues with some of the messaging through your teen years. But for the most part, you were involved, going along with it, and it was a big part of your life is what it sounds like. Yes. Okay. I think it's worth pointing out at this point that, do you want to say how old you are? Yeah, I'm 20 years old. So we're talking about, um, especially with high school and stuff, this wasn't that long ago for you. Right. So final years of high school, your dad's called as a bishop. Why don't we start there with your feelings about that and get into um, what things led to your, what do you want to call it? Some people faith say crisis. faith crisis, some people say, um, say transition, you know, whatever led to the moment where things started changing course for you. How about that? Uh, okay. So I'm going to talk about like right before my dad became bishop. Sure, so yeah. it was like six, maybe to a year before my dad became bishop. Um, there was this uh, one boy that converted into our church and he was very friendly to me and there was this one day um we were by ourselves with each other and he took advantage of me and I didn't know what to think of it in the moment I was like so frightened like I was so scared I was like what just happened to me you know and so it was just very frightening to me and even after like it happened I got phone calls from both of my parents and they were just checking up on me because my sister was out of town and I was at home alone like by myself so they were oh, okay just so that was just coincidental oh definitely okay. Okay. yeah so it sounds like we're talking about sexual assault here at a young age yes with uh, somebody that you thought was trusted and in also somebody in the church yes okay that's that's hard definitely so your parents called yes they called and they were just like hey like how's everything going and then I didn't want to tell them anything because I I was in shock and so after that it just I don't know it just took time to like process what happened I think it took me six to eight months and during that time you didn't say anything to anyone no it no. took me a while yeah yeah okay wow did you continue to I'm assuming you continued to see this boy at church and yes um he was only around like three or four months after and then he just stopped going to church entirely okay what happened when you finally found the strength to talk about it with somebody who did you go to I first went to my parents and they told me right away to go talk to my bishop okay like right away first person is bishop not law enforcement they said go to the bishop which I mean within the church that's not too surprising but um so you went to your bishop who at that point was not your dad, I'm assuming? Yes, he okay. was my, yeah, he was one of my best friend's dads. So that was okay, kind of wow. difficult yeah. also. <laughs> that also is another aspect of, of Mormon leadership. Right. And through that process, when I told him, he explained to me what it was because I didn't quite know what to call it, you know? And so mm-hmm. he told me like what he would call it. Mm-hmm. And he talked. Are you comfortable saying what he the word he used? Yeah, he called it date rape. That's what okay. he called it. And, and when you heard that word, did that 
it shocked you. It, 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 I was stunned. Like I was still in shock at that point because I, I didn't know how to cope with it. Like I didn't realize, I, I never knew, like I knew it could happen to people, but I didn't know the dangers of it. And I don't blame it like on my childhood or anything, but like, I wish I would have known like about what's the word predators out in the world, like how people are just so what's the word I'm thinking of? Like they're just have a different mindset of things and they, it's sounding like you're, you're saying you had a, like a naivete about these things that you wish you would have been more aware of. Definitely. Um, when he said date rape and you were said you were shocked during that six to eight months that you were processing it, you'd never thought, had you ever thought of that word? Never. I, I never. mean, I've heard of it, but like, I never even thought about it, you know? You weren't thinking of it in context of what happened to you. Yeah, definitely. So I don't, I'm going to make a few assumptions just based on you know, my own experience with Mormon culture. If you're, if that happened to you, but you're not thinking of it as rape, like, were you blaming yourself? I know that's. Yes, definitely. I did blame myself for quite a while. And I still do to, to this day, because I'm like, Mm. if I wouldn't have put myself in that situation, I don't think it would have happened. But Mm. I don't I I always get told by people like it's not your fault like you don't need to blame yourself because you didn't know what was going to happen I can tell you that's true also and I also know I can I can totally understand given our upbringings how hard that is to come to terms with and that I can see yourself struggling with that yeah definitely and it breaks my heart a couple weeks after it happened I we we were on the topic of like um, adultery and like sexual like aspects, you know. So so like say oh, like this her, is like this is a a lesson. It was a lesson. Okay. It was just okay. like with the my mates at the okay. time. Okay, yeah, like a chastity lesson. Yeah, definitely. That's okay. the word I was okay. looking for. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So just talking about like the law of chastity and like what things would you have to do to like break it like what you should do to keep your chastity belt on and not let anybody like untouch it and like I was did they actually very... really talk about chastity belts like metaphorically always they wow. always did. oh my gosh okay so you're hearing this talk about chastity belts knowing what's happened to you so what yeah what are you feeling you're I'm feeling very guilty because mm. Mm-hmm. They didn't go into like detail about like the different things that like wouldn't pertain to that, you know, and like right, in my right. instance, knowing now, like what I know, like it wouldn't apply to me at that time, but it made it seem like, and they're talking and like teaching us that it did. So that made me even feel more guilty. Right. So you're getting the message that like any sexual experience is sin. Yes. And not getting the exceptions or not getting the message that what happened to you is not sin on you. So you're feeling it's like piling on. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not surprising to hear that. And it's devastating also 
but yeah, it, it unfortunately is a, a common, a common message Definitely. that Mormon youth get and girls especially. Right. Yeah. What, what, how did your bishop respond besides naming it for you? Um, so he, he did it very well, I believe. Um, so he, he went out of his way to talk to um, a sex offender lawyer and just. Oh, wow. Talk, talk, yeah. So he went out of his way and he told him about the situation I went through. And he said, since it's so far behind and since it was so far back, we can't really do anything like to press charges or to charge him with anything because it was so long ago and we don't have like not per se proof, but like evidence. Mm. Okay. And so, yeah. So after that, I think it was, I didn't feel worthy. And he said that that was okay, but he like tried to reassure me that like, it wasn't like you're doing and like you weren't committing a sin, but mm-hmm. I didn't take the sacrament for like three months. Okay. But that wasn't because he put that requirement on you. You put it on yourself. Yeah. Wow. Three months. Yeah. That was an interesting three months. I will say. How so? So it was just, I would see him like every other week just to talk like about the bishop. yeah the bishop okay. i would okay. go talk to the bishop every other week and like you knew that like you know how like nosy your friends are at that age mm. like oh okay like why are you talking to him yeah got it and so that got was kind of like oh i don't want to go talk to him anymore because it's kind of like obvious that i'm going through something you know mm-hmm. and like yeah. you always knew when somebody was going through something like you could always you could tell right right okay there's like a publicness to it that you were not comfortable with. Yeah. Okay. And and but when you were meeting with the bishop, did it feel like he was helping you sympathetic on your side? Like I mean I just know like the range of experiences in this kind of situation is <laughs> definitely very vast, totally depending on the individual because we don't train our bishops for this sort of stuff in the yes. Mormon church. So of all, but of all, like the the spectrum of how this could have gone, how do you feel about? I I honestly feel that like it was very well for me. Like he helped me out a lot. Like I will give you that. But I think it was the fact that he was my best friend's dad that mm-hmm, he yeah. looked at me different. Like he treated me different. Like even though he said he wouldn't say a word to anybody because it's confidential, you know, but. I still feel like that barrier mm. that was between us and like, it just felt different. Like, cause I would go over to his house with my family and have dinner with their family, you know? Right. And so it'd just be very weird, very awkward. And so I don't know. It, I don't know. I think this is demonstrative of how complicated this can get because you, you're right. These, it's not a, a licensed professional counselor who doesn't have the enmeshment, <laughs> if that's even a word, no, um, yeah. <laughs> with, with the rest of your life. Definitely. Right? So as much as he did try to seek outside help and he was, it sounds like his intentions were, were really caring towards you, but 
there's still, yeah, people are aware that you're going to meet with him frequently. You're interacting with him outside of those sessions on a regular basis. Your friend is involved. Like all of those things make it mm-hmm. that much more awkward and difficult. So, oh, definitely. Yeah. And then one more thing I would like to add. Um, so later on in like the year, like I'd say like a year and a half after, I started getting nightmares, just like a repetition of like what happened. And so I was talking to my dad about it and he was like, oh, like if you need to go see a therapist, then I'll pay for it and I'll help you out, you know? And I'm like, okay. But like at the time, I'm like, I don't want to see it seem as much as a, as a victim than I already am, you know? Like mm-hmm. I don't, I, I'm one to like try to figure out my own problems before like I go seek other help. But and so, like, actually, like, in the next couple of weeks, I'm actually going to see a therapist about it. So okay. it's three, four years after. Yeah. So even when your dad brought that up, you weren't ready at that point. That seemed like maybe something that you were pushing away from that, saying, I, either I shouldn't need that like, no, or I don't like, need it. like, let me it. figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At that point, was your dad bishop? Yes. Okay. Okay. So as as helpful as I'm sure your bishop at that time wanted to be, definitely you you needed not a bishop, you needed professional help and therapy. To right. Get and that. he recommended that as well, but yeah. like at that point I still didn't want to like yeah, well, put it out there, you know. And you're so young. And also, um, again, this is me extrapolating, but if you're that young and you're sitting in an office talking to an older man and it's awkward and, and uh, yeah, there's all these other complicated things, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that in your mind you're thinking therapy will be similar to that. Or were you? I mean, is that also what you're thinking? I, is like, I would. Why, would I, I do, thinking, why would I do that? Yeah, definitely. I was just like, why would, like, in this feeling right now, like what I'm feeling, why would I go do this to myself if I'm not comfortable like right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. After, um, so you said you didn't take the sacrament for three months. What happened after that? I, I, at one point I like had like a full testimony, like on my own, like I didn't have to rely on anybody's, but after that incident, I was like, wow, like God's real. Like he loves me and he's trying to help me out, you know? And so so are you and, saying you were feeling like in Mormonism, we would talk about like the atonement and. Um, yeah. So I really used the atonement like as much as I could. And so like being able to use it, I think that's what strengthened it for me. But after I think it was, I think it was only like two months after that, it started going downhill. Mm hmm. So once it started going downhill, it's when I started becoming more involved. Like I was the, um, my maid president and then we didn't have that many girls. So I became the president of like all the girls. And so that leadership role and then just like taking it all in and being in charge of these girls and thinking that like, oh, I'm their example, you know, like I have to be like my best to teach them, you know. And then after that, I became a youth committee co-chair. It's where the youth 
um, are selected by their bishops from the different wards and we all get together as a stake of youth and form the youth committee and I happen to be one of the co-chairs and so in that aspect there's a lot more problems so um, just to touch on that like vaguely um, I had an experience with one of the members of the committee Um, it was closely related to my previous experience with my sexual assault but not as intense Mm -hmm. Um, like things happened without consent but not as okay detrimental yeah right okay Um, so it was about time to go to youth conference so I went to my leaders about it I went to my parents about it and one of my leaders and my dad were on the same page and saying that I needed to fulfill my calling. I needed to go even and disregard my feelings, like disregard them entirely. And um, so I did not feel comfortable with that, but um, I had to follow through with it anyways. Like you were clear with them. What, what had happened? You weren't, yes, you weren't I was just clear with them. I told yeah, them okay. what happened, what okay. like, the incident that occurred okay okay um so I felt like he was being more protected in a sense than I was because I knew he got a talking to but that was about it like there wasn't any much else to it that I knew about Mm -hmm. he was still Um, allowed to be on the committee even when the leaders knew what had happened exactly and then you you were forced to continue to, to be there with him wow yeah so that was very difficult. Did you end up going? I yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. It was an overnighter, so we had to like sleep in tents and it was uh, a trek that we did. So. I see. Okay. Okay. Uh nothing happened there with him, thank goodness, but um just in the sense that I didn't feel comfortable or yeah, like yeah. I knew I was wanted there, but like not really. You get what I'm saying? Like, right. You, yeah. You were wanted there, but more about, it's more about my leadership role rather than my actual physical presence. It's more about like the outward displays of obedience. Yeah, definitely. And putting on the show rather than you actually being valued. Because obviously your discomfort was not. Valued. valued at all yeah. definitely not yeah so i mean another aspect of this is that these leaders and even your parents or maybe just your dad like you've told them what this boy did and is anyone talking to him like is anyone it sounds like he's kind of being defended and protected a bit that's what it seems like. Like, I get where you're coming from at that point. But I was told, like... Like, you're being young... told you have to go do this even though it makes you uncomfortable. And is anyone realizing, like, oh, my gosh, this kid, he should not be around her. And also, somebody needs to be talking to him about what he did, you know? Exactly. So, I was... So, I got a visit from the young men's president because he seemed like he cared more than my young woman's president did. And so he came over to my house and talked to me about it. And he's like, if you don't feel comfortable, then just let me know. 
I'm like, I already told them mm-hmm. that I didn't feel comfortable. And he reassured me that his bishop was talking to that individual. And he told me that it was happening with other girls as well. Oh, my goodness. And, yeah. And so I was like, so something needs to happen then, right? And he's like, yeah, we're in the progress of it. Okay. So he was at youth conference. He was kept a close eye on, like everybody was watching him, everybody. But that still didn't make me feel safe, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he's still allowed to be there and uh, yeah. Right. That's, I mean, again, like when we have people who aren't trained (laughs) to know how to deal with these things. (laughs) And I'm sure that many of these people, I mean, it sounds like that young men's leader really was doing doing his best. Right. He seemed like he cared more about me yeah. than my dad did. And yeah. that was very sad to me. Yeah. <laughs> so just with those turning points, I just saw the re- realness of the church and like how with my experiences that I went through, and they were treated how I thought they should. Like they were taken very lightly mm-hmm. and not as extensive, extensive. And so it was just very disappointing to me. And it was just, it took a huge toll on my testimony. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. couldn't, I could never get it back. Did you have a moment where you, where you kind of knew that? That you were never going back or that it was not going to be I the knew same? that. At the youth conference, I had a realization that this is not what I wanted for the rest of my life. And I knew that I didn't want to be a part of the church anymore. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell us a little more about that moment? Um, So in that moment, I was by myself. Um, We were were by these um, springs. Like, I was being one with nature, you could say. And I just had this overview of everyone around me like they seemed like they were enjoying it people were talking like enjoying themselves and I was like this is a good aspect of it but you don't know behind the scenes and I knew what was behind the scenes when nobody else did that was attending and it really struck me really hard and I don't know why in that moment but it was just like I don't want this ever so you you were feeling like the hypocrisy of everyone else experiencing this event is experiencing it one way. They're seeing just the activities that we're doing, but you're experiencing it in a completely different way. Right. And that contradiction kind of overwhelmed you in that moment. Definitely. Okay. Did it but did it also feel like cuz it's one thing to say like I don't want to um participate in this anymore and it's another thing to say I don't believe in this anymore like were those entwined for you or was there um I didn't really have an issue with the doctrine at that point it was later on that it became like oh like I started having more questions and I started asking them but they weren't getting answered like they Mm -hmm. were getting blown off and said like oh like you open your scriptures to this page and in that page it will tell you the answer to your question And that never happened for me. And so just with the questions, I was starting to like realize that, wow, I would ask God questions and maybe the answers that I wanted to get 
like were the ones that he was giving me like I was asking questions like regarding regarding like the doctrine and the gospel and maybe he was telling me that it wasn't fit for me and some a lot of people will disagree and like God takes his time to like answer and stuff like that but for me not receiving an answer was like oh I don't think this is fit for me so there was a like a snowballing I guess from that moment so were you going to people around you also with these questions and your concerns I was okay and they told me they all told me the same thing they either told me to pray and ask or they told me to read like general conference talks or read the scriptures and open a page and whatever page you land on that'll give you your answer Mm-hmm. And it just kept circling back and circling back to the same point. And I was like, it's a never ending cycle. So then um, at what point did you figure out, I'm not going to get the answers or I'm, I'm done or like, uh, you know, when did it settle? It settled words? probably after I stopped going to church. Like I took a, I started working on Sundays just so I could get away from church and have an excuse for it, you know? And I think that helped me a lot. It kind of like settled with me and I'm like, I think I'm done. Like, I don't want that anymore. But I will tell you, it took me a long time to tell my family and only my parents and my siblings know to this day. Okay. So even after like, like I would run away. So after I didn't work at that job anymore where I was working on Sundays, I worked there for like three months and then I got a full-time job. And so after I didn't work there anymore, I would wake up at like 6.30 in the morning and drive over to my boyfriend's house so my parents wouldn't catch me in the morning and be like, oh, come to church with us type deal. Oh, on Sundays you would do that? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Waking up that early on a Sunday just to avoid going to church. <laughs> That's commitment to not going to church. (laughs) (laughs) So just to get a little bit of context here, I'm assuming by this point, you sounds like you've, you have graduated from high school, Mm -hmm. but you're also still living with your parents. So you, you continue to live at home. Now you're working, you're past 18 Mm -hmm. and you've decided you, you don't want to continue in the church. You know that. And then it takes you a little bit longer to even tell your parents. So I'm assuming that's pretty recent that you even told them. Yeah, yeah, I told them like legit two months ago. Two months ago. Okay. Yeah. This is And I only told my dad because I knew my mom would ask a whole bunch of questions and she would start the waterworks and I did not want that because then I would start to cry and I didn't want that at all. Okay. So... Your mom knows, but you haven't actually had the conversation. With her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. So this is all really, really new and recent. Tell me about all of that. How is it going? And then just, yeah, how are you feeling about it all? What What's going on? So during the conversation I had with my dad, telling him that I no longer wanted to be a part of the church, I literally followed him around the house for like two hours because I was trying to find the courage to like talk to him. I was like, dad, I have to tell you something, but I don't know if I'm ready to tell you yet. 
and he thought that I was going to tell him that I was pregnant. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, like it's something else. And he's like, okay. So I told him about it and I was like, I no longer want to be part of the church anymore. And I told him why. And of course he quoted scriptures. Hmm. I knew he was going to quote something (laughs) from the doctor or somewhere. So after that, he's like, well, I'm glad you actually, you were able to find your happiness. And that really settled with me very well because I thought he would take it very like wrong, you know? And Hmm. like, I was even like struggling to like tell him because like he's in the state presidency, then everybody else will find out. And my grandparents and like everybody in the church, like I'll be the new talk of the gossip, you know? Yeah. And, but I knew it needed to happen. So Um, it's just been a few months. Are you still living with your parents? No, I literally just moved out. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's a lot going on. Um, is there anything, is there anything else you want to talk about the process of like the, just the emotional aspect of, you know, figuring out you don't believe anymore and that you need to leave, you know, the emotions that you're experiencing at that time, especially as you're trying to get up the courage to tell your, your parents and right. you're still and living so- there, you know, like anything else you want to add about just exactly. the the emotional process? Um, it was an emotional roller coaster, <laughs> honestly. Like, if I could tell anybody this, then I would. And that would be, like, put your feelings first. Because with me, what took me so long is because I cared about other people's feelings before my own. And I think that hurt me in the long run. Because I, I don't know, I, I'm a people pleaser. Like, so it's just that I was really struggling and I still put people first and like in the church like they're encouraged to like oh put other people's needs before your own and then you'll see like that you're happier now I know that in my past like people walk over me they took advantage and it shouldn't be like that it should be both ways it should be 50 50 and um I know that I should deal with my own happiness first and then worry about others so coming to that realization is what helped you being able to tell your dad, being able to to actually stop attending. I still, yeah, you not waking up at six thirty in the morning to get out of the house, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, and even still, even with that, like you were able to tell your dad, but not your mom. You know, right? So obviously, there's still some trepidation there with that relationship. Yes. And I think it's interesting because we haven't yet featured a story, I think, where someone left, you know, at like a relatively early stage, you know, like Mm -hmm. you um, didn't go through the temple, you know, you didn't get married in, in the temple or go on a mission. And I think sometimes it can be easy maybe for those of us who left later in life to think, well, that's easier to leave yeah. before you get to those milestones. Right. But I think it's just clear listening to you. It's still hard, especially yeah. if you've had some really 
traumatic experiences within the church or with other people in the church. And definitely, um, but even still, like depending on your family background and what messages you've internalized within the church, it's still quite a process. Definitely. No matter when you leave, yeah, yeah. So I appreciate hearing this. How are you feeling now? You know, you're out of the church as far as attendance and belief. Um, how how are you feeling? Where are you at? I am at the point where I don't know if I want to go to another church. Like it's so like recent, it's so fresh. Yeah, yeah. That I want to like take my time. Like I know that there is a God, and that's what I'm. I'm okay with that. Like I don't think I need an organized religion to like be associated with, you know. Mm-hmm. And like maybe one day I will go to another church and like experiment and just see see like the different like kinds of or types of churches and religions are out there. And but right now I'm not quite ready for that, so I'm just taking it easy. Yeah, um, one of our questions is like, is in what ways is this still an ongoing process? And obviously. This is still just so new for you that, um, like, what do you see yourself still um, struggling with right now or dealing with or processing? Right. I'm still, like, dealing with that whole process that happened to me, like, with the sexual assault or whatnot. But, like, I'm finally coming to terms with actually seeking help, professional help now. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm to the terms to it's okay not to be okay and entirely, you know? that's why there's professionals for a reason is to help people out like in those cases you know yeah and just with my family I want to be more open with them because all they talk about is church church and church and I want to change that (laughs) yeah because like there's more to talk about than church you know there's life experiences you can talk about there's activities we can do together that don't associate with the church and just things like that. Are you hopeful about your relationship with your parents? I am hopeful. I know that they love me enough to care about my own happiness and like live my own life. And I respect that, like, honestly, because like with prior incidences, it seemed like they didn't care about me enough to like, live my own life and that they would give me direction and expect me to go on their path that they wanted for me instead of me choosing my own. Well, at the end of all of our Becoming Wordless episodes, we give you a chance to talk directly to your audience, whoever you're intending for that audience, whether it's strangers who are listening, who you want to help feel connected, or whether it's actual people that you know, your actual family. And I think in your case, you're not planning on sharing this yet um, with your with your family or friends. So why don't you, what would you like to tell people who are listening, what do you want them to get out of your story? Um, I just want people to know that they aren't alone through this process. And that's what I love about this podcast. And when I started listening to it, it's because I felt alone in that process because I didn't know anybody that went through the same experiences as me and wanted to like leave the church, you know? So people who have not necessarily been through the same experiences as me, but like know that through any experience that you experience inside the church, that 
there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Are you seeing that light? Do you feel like you're... I'm almost to that light. Like, I feel like I'm working towards it, definitely. More and more every day. Yeah. Um, Is there anything that you want to say? Let's just, just in case someday you do decide to share this with people you know. Is there anything you want to say to people who you love? Um, If they were to ever listen to this, um, I would want them to know that I love and appreciate them and all that they have done for me and through my life process and what I've been through and um, know that they, I still love and respect them regardless of their beliefs. And beliefs isn't the first thing that makes a person. There's more to a person than what they believe. And I just want them to know that I love them. Well, thank you, Emily, for sharing everything for, for just being willing to be vulnerable with your experiences. And it's been really powerful for me to sit and talk with you today. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Donna. I really appreciate this experience as well. Thanks for listening. Whatever your relationship with Mormonism might be, we appreciate you being here, and we hope you found this to be valuable. Becoming Wardless is a sub-series of the Wardless podcast. To learn more, or to find out how to feature your story on Becoming Wardless, please visit wardlesspodcast.com.